Father, we again thank you into our presence. Thank you for everything you've already given us this morning. Thank you for the practical lesson of thankfulness. Thank you, Father, that you love us and you have allowed everything upon our lives for our betterment because we are your children. Lord, as we meditate on the coming of the Lord this morning, the Advent, Lord, we pray that you would be with us. Show us that ways, Father. Show us, Father, what you want of us in the short time that we have here. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to look at the Advent, which means coming, coming of the Lord. The Advent of the Lord is what we're going to talk about this morning. And last night we were, again, uh, like Brother John mentioned, we were all treated with some wonderful singing. I always enjoy that. Most of my children, they, uh, they sit up and they wait and they said, wake me up, wake me up. I don't want to miss them. And they're, they're probably 15 feet from the singing. And I'm all the way in the back room and I hear them. I couldn't miss them. And the children sleep right through it every time. Going <laughs> to get a chuckle out of that. Probably half an hour from when they went to sleep. It's a blessing to sleep that deep. I, I guess I did too when I was a child. Advent means coming, and during this season, we Christians prepare for Jesus' coming. We prepare for uh, what, what, what is the purpose of that, of that coming? It's a, it's a season, Advent is a season observed in many Christian churches as a time of expectant waiting and preparation for the celebration of the nativity of Jesus at, at Christmas. Now, as we don't wait for his nativity, that has long come and gone. And we can think uh, romantically about that coming and have nativity scenes. And I, I, and I certainly don't want to take that away from Christmas. I love it too. But it's a lot more serious than that, than uh, cute donkeys and cute cows around a nativity. It's very serious. Jesus is coming, but he's coming with glory next time. Glory. And that glory will be have a lot of people trembling. They will be trembling with fear. They will be trembling with, I don't know, it's everything that they have, everything that they've stood for, nothing will help them. Nothing will help them except their readiness and their relationship with Jesus Christ and him in their hearts and the Holy Spirit waiting for that day. So this is what I want to lay on your hearts today, the coming of the Lord. And please, I'm not against this cute Christmas thing. The children love it. It's, it has such a, a special place in my heart growing up. I love Christmas. But uh, let us teach that to our children that it's, it's more than that. It's much more. Latin Adventus is the translation of Greek word parousia, parousia, commonly used to refer to second coming of Christ. So Advent in its true form is more about the coming of Christ, his second coming, than it is about his first coming. 
which um, we celebrate here. It had started last week already, four weeks leading up to Christmas. Um, it really has nothing, not much to do with Christmas in its true form. It has to do about his second coming. The traditional dates, the tradition dates to the mid-19th century where German Protestants made chalk marks on the doors or lit candles to count the days leading up to Christmas. Gerhard Lang is widely considered a producer of the first printed Advent calendar in the early 1900s. Advent is a period for, of four Sundays and weeks before Christmas, or sometimes from the first December to Christmas Day. Advent means coming in Latin. This is the coming of Jesus into the world. Christians use the four Sundays and weeks of Advent to prepare and remember the real meaning of Christmas. More importantly, it serves to remind us about the coming or second coming of Christ, like already mentioned. For us today, this should be emphasized as being the most important emphasis. We Christians like to celebrate the nativity part, but we often fail to celebrate the anticipation of the coming of the Lord. And I want to think of that, and ich bin nicht ausnahme. Ich likes nicht denken of the second coming, and we have our lives to live. And sometimes in the flesh, I have to say, I don't really look forward to that. We, we, we want to live, we want to live our lives, but as we suffer in the Lord, as we draw closer to the Lord, we get this certain longing. As we lose our loved ones in this land of death that have entered into the land of the living, we think of eternity. We think of the second coming and we start long for it more. And this is what true thankfulness does, as John talked about. And this is what Advent should be, is, is, a, is a longing and a desire to be with Christ. And it will automatically produce certain fruits in our lives, certain tendencies in our lives. My heart cringes to wait for certain times of the year to be reconciled to God or to brothers. But during this time, we should not only use this time to celebrate, but do some deep heart searching. Especially in these tumultuous days of uncertainty, where we experience laws of lies, sickness, COVID, political uncertainty. So it's very, uh, um, there's things happening. And they're happening for a reason, and we should take heart that maybe, maybe this comfortable American life is, uh, is on the chopping block soon for us. We don't know. We certainly love that peace. God has given it. God desires us to live in peace. But we don't know what's going to happen. So let us live with thankfulness each day in that. This morning, we will look at John the Baptist's ministry of preparing the way of the Lord. After this, we will discuss how we are to be like John in many ways, preparing the way and anticipating Christ's second coming. And we will begin there in uh, John chapter 1 from 6 to 37. And I want you all to follow along. I will stay here in John for the entirety of this message. So you can leave your Bibles open to John 1, the Gospel of John. We'll start reading in John 1, 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. 
the same came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lighted every man that coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them give he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Such an awesome verse. I love that verse. Verse 13, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I speak. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness of all we received, and grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. No man had seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, which is the bosom of the Father, he had declared him. And this is the record of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who art thou? And he confessed and denied not, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Art thou Elias? And he said, I am not. Art thou the prophet? And he answered, No. And they said unto him, Who art thou then? That we may give an answer to them that sent us. What sayest thou of thyself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as saith the prophet Isaiah. And they which sent were of the Pharisees. And they asked him, and said unto him, Why baptize thou then, if thou art not the Christ, nor Elias, neither the prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there standeth one among you whom ye know not. He it is, who cometh after me, as preferred before me, whose shoes latched I am not worthy to unloose. For these things were done in Bat-Tabara, beyond Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day John See a Jesus coming unto him and said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. It is he of whom I said, After me cometh a man which is preferred before me, for he, he was before me, and I knew him not, that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore I am coming, I come baptizing with water. And John bare record, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him. And I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water. The same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same as he which baptized with the Holy Ghost. In verse 33, notice he said, I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me. Verse 34, And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. And again the next day after John stood two of his disciples, looking upon Jesus as he walked and said, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. We'll stop there. John was sent that he might wait and prepare himself for the physical appearance of God in the flesh, preparing the way of Jesus the Messiah. Interestingly, this objective for us as God's children is to be similar to John's, to help reconcile people to God and to equip them to do likewise. Now, this is a broad statement. I'm not going to discuss this this morning, but it's very interesting that uh, we are called to the same token to ready the name of God practically to Jesus. We are the Bible that a lot of people will see, the only Bible. 
So we are to ready the second coming of Christ, his advent. Think of that, that we are called to be that, a messenger for the second coming of Christ, to call out the name of God. Because he's coming, but this time there will be judgment, giving us all the more reason to be a John. John, like us, sometimes struggled with his objective in life. As I meditate on how we are like John at times, what our objective Christ has for us, we struggle to see it at times. So did John. So did the disciples. So does every man of God at one time or another. I found this interesting article by John Bloom. Today, brethren, are you struggling with doubts in the middle of painful circumstances? So did John the Baptist. As he sat in Herod and Tepa's prison waiting for a likely execution, he was afflicted with doubts about Jesus. Are you the one who has come, or shall we look for another? This is what he thought. Look at everything that he's been through when he thought of these things. This was a surprising question coming from John. It's unclear exactly when John first consciously knew that Jesus was the Son of God, whose way he had come to prepare Apostle John quoted him as saying, I myself did not know him around the time he baptized Jesus. This is remarkable because John's mother Elizabeth had known. She knew because John announced it to her in the valley by leaping when she heard Mary's voice. Was she not allowed to tell him? We don't know. Regardless, John had known even before he knew. What is clear is that when the revelation came, it was overwhelming experience for John. That day when Jesus approached him at the Jordan near Bethany, John couldn't contain the shout. Behold the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. With awe and trembling hands, he had baptized his Lord and then saw the Spirit descend and remain on him. That day also marked the beginning of end of his ministry. From that point, he had joyfully directed people away from himself and to follow Jesus, and they had. Now meditate upon this. From that point of his life, John had joyfully directed people away from him and onto Jesus. Similarly, our Christian life must emphasize Christ to others, not ourselves, but Christ. John 3.30, He must increase, but I must decrease. Now, as he said in Antipas filled the prison, he had expect, expected this. Prophets who rebuke sinful kings usually do not fare well. This was no surprise. Fortunately, he had not been an exception. Herodias wanted him dead. John could see no reason why she would be not denied her wish to kill him. What he hadn't expected was to be tormented by such oppressive doubts and fears. Since the Jordan, John had doubted, had not doubted, that Jesus was the Christ, but stuck alone in this putrid cell, he was assaulted by horrible, accusing thoughts. He was human, and just like us, we go through the same things at times, at our greatest trials. We have questions. We have doubts. He had thoughts that were just human, thoughts that all of us might have in, in the face of deep, deep trials. What if he had been wrong? There were many false prophets in Israel. These were the things that went through his mind. 
What made him so sure that he wasn't, Jesus wasn't one of these false prophets? What if he had led thousands astray? There had been many false messiahs. What if Jesus was just another one? So far, Jesus' ministry wasn't exactly what John had always imagined a messiah would be. He had questions, a lot of questions. He didn't fully understand these things. Could this imprisonment be God's judgment on himself? It felt as if God had left him and the devil. It felt as if God had left him and the devil himself had taken his place. He tried to recall the prophecies and the signs that seemed so clear to him before, but it was difficult to think straight. Comfort just wouldn't stick to his soul. Doubts buzzed around him like flies around his face. The thoughts of being executed for the sake of righteousness and justice he could bear, but he could not bear the thought that he might be wrong about Jesus. His one task was to prepare the way of the Lord. If he had gotten that wrong, his ministry, his life was in vain. But even with his doubts, there remained in John a deep, unshakable trust in Jesus. Jesus would tell him the truth. He just needed to hear from him again. So he sent two of his closest disciples to ask Jesus, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Here was the humanity of John. He wanted some reassurance, like we all need at times. This affection that radiated from Jesus was so refreshing. Jesus was familiar with John's sorrows and grief and the satanic storms that break on the saints when they are weak and alone. Jesus loved John. So he invited John's faithful friends to sit near him as he healed many and delivered many from demonic prisons. Then he turned to them with kind tears glistening from his eyes, and he said, Go tell John what you have seen and heard. What have you experienced? The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. John would recognize Isaiah's prophecy in these words. This promise would bring the peace John needed to sustain him for a few difficult days that he had remaining. When Jesus had sent John's disciples away, he said something stunning about John. No one born of women had ever been greater. This, right after John had questioned who he was. This is the love of Christ. This is the understanding of Jesus Christ that is our Savior. He knows our questions. He knows our doubts. In this age, even the greatest, strongest saints experience deep darkness. None of us are spared trials, sorrows, or satanic oppression at different times of our lives. Most of us suffer agonizing affliction at some point. Most of us will experience seasons when we feel we've been abandoned. The Savior does not break the bruised reed. He hears our pleas for help and is patient with our doubts. He does not condemn us. He said, he has paid completely for any sins that is exposed in our pain. He does not always answer with speed that we desire. Nor is his answer always the deliverance we hope for. He does not heal necessarily when we want him to heal. But he will always send the help that is needed. His grace will always be sufficient for those who trust him. 
The hope we taste and the promises we trust will often be the sweetest thing we experience in this age, and his reward will be beyond our imagination. In John's darkness, the pain Jesus sent to promise to sustain John's fate, and he will do the same for us. Advent season is one of these times where it's good to reflect not only in the first coming and second coming of Christ, but to think and meditate of our own mortality. To think and meditate on our own mortality. Who wants to think of that when we're strong and healthy? As we meditate on the various funerals we have attended and observed and continue to be on a daily basis, amongst our Hutterite friends, it seems like every day there's a new funeral. We have no idea when the advent of Christ will come to us, literally. In this busy time, we need to slow down, check our hearts, preparing our hearts to receive the promise of what the Christ child would mean for the redemption of the world. And I want to also suggest... Look, not our own mortality, but look on the mortality of others and having a heart for them and a desire to see them saved. And I pray the Lord will continue to do this work in my own life to get a, a heart for the unsaved people. And I know that is a work of the Holy Spirit, and I pray he does more of that in our hearts. And I think it's selfish to, to think that Always think of our own mortality and our own Christian life and just think of that and pray about that. And we miss our complete calling, like John, to bring others to Christ, to show others Christ, to be concerned about the other's mortality. Why should we just stick in a rut of our own mortality? We should be beyond that. Who cares about ourselves and our own mortality? We need to be concerned about others' mortality without Christ. I'm very convicted about that. It is a time to reflect on where we stand with God's primary purpose for all of us, the church, to bring forth a ministry of reconciliation meaning we must be about the business of imploring people on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. We must be about the business of imploring people on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. Think of these words. The business of imploring others. As we prepare this Advent time for Christ's return with the purity of this hope, this love that we are called God's children, have we kept our hearts alive with the hope that the birth of, Christ, of the Christ child, have we lost the sight of the hope that we have, but as many as received him, to them give you power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. This is a tremendous opportunity that is ours. Someone asked Wayne Gretzky once, a great hockey player, how he managed to become the best goal scorer in the history of the game. Now, that might be obsolete, I don't know. 
I just read it somewhere. It might be somebody even better than him. I don't follow it. He was asked how he managed to become the best goal scorer in the history of the game. He simply replied, it's simple. While everyone else is chasing the puck, I go where the puck is going to be. Has our heart tuned into where we're going to be in eternity? Is our life like the anticipation of the puck going in preparation of a pass? Most importantly, are we actively standing in readiness, not only of our own mortality, but actively working out our human members in practical ways of service to the kingdom? This is, these are some good challenges. And the reason they're good is because I'm asking them to myself. I'm not even, I'm, I'm extremely challenged with, with what I'm sharing with you. I have in no way obtained to this. In other words, if hope is with God in eternity, we will make decisions today that will reflect our hope of that eternity. Or are we chasing after that which will not last? Broken dreams, a broken peace, the things of this world that will depreciate, break down, rust apart, be stolen, or fade away. Here's another good story. At the university, there was a, once a piano teacher that was simply and affectionately known as Herman. One night at a university concert, a distinguished piano player suddenly became ill while performing an extremely difficult piece. So he had to sit down, and it was a moment of silence. No sooner had the artist sat down from the stage when Herman arose from his seat in the audience, walked on stage, sat down on the piano, and with great mastery completed the performance without a hitch. Later that evening at a greeting assembly, one of the students asked Herman how he was able to perform such a demanding piece so beautifully without notice, with no rehearsal. He replied, in 1939, when I was a budding young concert pianist, I was arrested and placed in a Nazi concentration camp. Putting it mildly, the future looked bleak, but I knew that in order to keep the flicker of hope alive, that I might someday play again, I needed to practice every day. I began by fingering a piece from my program on my bare board bed late one night. It was simply a flat board where I had my imaginary keys. The next night, I added a second piece, and soon I was running through the entire program. I did this every night for five years. It so happens that this piece I played tonight at the concert hall was part of that program. That constant practice is what kept my hope alive. Every day I renewed my hope that I would one day be able to play my music again on a real piano and in freedom. Amen. How have we practiced remembering with hope the hope of Christ. What we do for Christ as we walk with him, as we talk to others about him, reconciling them to God, as we go about loving the brethren, praying for them, as we do the everyday tasks in life. These things are significant, worthwhile, and beautiful. Treat every day as a special occasion to live life with hope, with his spirit, while we wait and bring others to know of this hope in our gracious God. As we remember this first Advent Sunday, the hope of Messiah and his return for his bride. Amen. In the light of our inadequacy, in 
adequacy. I want to further exhort you here with a word from Oswald Chambers that spoke to me lately. Like John the Baptist, we feel discouraged, inadequate, and unsure about our word to God and his kingdom. This word really challenged me. By the grace of God, I am what I am. By the grace of God, in, in 1 Corinthians 15, 10, I am what I am, and his grace towards me is not in vain. The way we continually talk about our own inabilities is, insu- is an insult to our Creator. To complain over our incompetence is to accuse God falsely of having overlooked us. Getting into the habit of examining from God's perspective those things that sound so humbly to men. You will be amazed of how unbelievably inappropriate and disrespectful they are to Him. We say things such as, Oh, I shouldn't claim to be sanctified. I'm not a saint. But to say that before God means, no, Lord, it is impossible for you to save and sanctify me. There are opportunities I have not had, and so many imperfections in my brain and my body. No, Lord, it is not possible. That may sound wonderfully humbly to others, but before God, it is an attitude of defiance. Conversely, the thing that sounds humbly before God may sound exactly the opposite to people. To say, thank God, I, I know I am saved and sanctified. It is in God's eyes the purest expression of humility. It means you have so completely surrendered yourself to God that you know he is true. Never worry about whether what you say sounds humble before others or not, but always be humble before God and allow him to be your all in all. There's only one relationship that really matters, and that is your personal relationship to your personal Redeemer and Lord. If you maintain that at all costs, Letting everything else go, God will fulfill his purpose through your life. One individual life may be of priceless value to God's purpose, and yours may be that life. Amen.